looking at the life of Joseph, who goes essentially from a little boy and his family to prison pits, to uh, accused of crimes he didn't do, to becoming prime minister in the greatest nation of the world at that time, straight out of prison. Right, we're in a series and we're going to read scripture together. So if you've got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 39, we're going to read a whole chapter of scripture. So if you have missed out on your Bible reading this week, have no fear, we're catching up. Chapter 39, it'll be on the screen behind us. The air cons are on, people, so the power is back, so things will start to cool down a little bit or heat up by the preaching. Who knows? Things are going to get good. Genesis chapter 39 says this, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he made, soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in this entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that he, she was holding his cloak and that he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband had brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with this prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment, this holy moment as we gather around your word, and I thank you as your word opens up before us, would it bring light to our souls? Would it give sight to the blind? Would it give legs to the lame? Would it give future to those who are 
discouraged and have their heads in the sand. I thank you, Father God, lift heads, lift eyes, lift hearts so that we can see what you are doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I, I don't want to brag, but I will. Um, you've twisted my arm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at a lot of things. You see, uh, in the year 2000, I was head boy at my primary school in Zimbabwe. Yeah, that's, uh, I wish there was a sign saying applause, but no. It's not the Oprah show, all right? We'll carry on. You're a tough crowd. Sure, there was only about three or four other viable candidates, and uh, my parents were both on the governing body. But you know what? We don't speak of that. We don't speak of that at all. I don't want to brag, but I was also number two public speaker in KwaZulu-Natal in the year 2005 for the whole province, people. Lost to the same girl twice, but she took me to a metric dance, so actually I won. Anyway, I don't want to brag, but I'm also uh, in the right frame of mind. I can do the fiendish level of Sudoku in about 30 minutes. People, I'm pretty much a big deal, guys. But I want to tell you, there are a few things that I just can't work out. And I want to be honest with you here. There's some things that just don't make sense to me. And as much as you explain it to me, it just goes in my head. And I believe I'm, if we're honest, we'll all agree to this, that I just can't work out how the internet actually works. <laughs> now, just think about it for a second, people. Sure, fiber cables, sure, Wi-Fi routers, sure, Elon Musk is involved there somehow. I'm not too sure, but he's in there. Sure, double-click, right-click, save as, copy-paste. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get you, I get you. HTTP, hyperlink, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, get, I get the maybe the, the mechanics of it. But think about it for a second, people. I can have a, the face and the voice of a friend in Australia in my hand, talking to me, in a different time zone, in seconds. The insects, I can't work it out, people. I really can't work it out. Let me tell you, I also can't work out algebra. Can't work it out, still still can't. Why are they putting letters with numbers? It's just crazy for me what is going on there. I can't work out time zones. I can't work out Bitcoin. I can't work out why people still support Manchester United. I can't work out some stuff. You give me all the logic, it just doesn't make sense to me. And also, I just want to give a shout out to everyone who's here in, in mourning for the protests and Springboks losses. Don't worry, Liverpool will win this afternoon. We are okay. We're okay, people. We're in, we're in capable hands. But I want to tell you, I also just can't work out the greatest mystery of all. Take all those as the fact, how and why did this girl, Fiona, fall in love with this guy, Gabe Phillips, all those years ago? She's told me the story. She's told me how I made her swoon. I still can't work it out, though, people. I can't. Work it out. And I want to tell you, maybe, maybe with, that is a backdrop today. I want to tell you, I think there's some things that maybe you and I, we can have all the logic, we can have all the ideas, we can have it explained to us, we can, we can maybe have the macro view in front of us, but we, we just can't work it out. There's some things, we can't work out why I still struggle like this. Why can't, why, I can't work out why my health is like this still. I can't work out why my family is like this. I can't work out why I keep failing like this. I can't work out why I still can't sleep at night. I, still, I can't work out why my emotions are like this. I know all the logic, but it's not making sense to me where I'm at. Now I want to say to you today, if you are stuck between what God is speaking and what you are seeing, and you are here saying, I can't work it out, then this morning is just for you. I believe for you and for me and for all of us as we live in your faith. So the title of my sermon today is, I can't work it out. So I need you to turn to your neighbor and tell them the title, say, I can't work it out. And then follow it up with this line, tell them, how did I get to sit next to someone as good looking as you? I can't work it out. Tell them that. Come on. Now, if they are your spouse, feel free to get, take a kiss. Go give it a go. If you're both single, take a number. You know what? 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're looking at Joseph's narrative, chapter 39 to be precise today, but we, we in, the, in the narrative of Joseph, sure, we know the story, the beginning from end, if we look at it, if we step back and have done all our Bible reading up to now, but actually, if we're just reading this as the story unfolds, we see in chapter 37, Joseph get a promise, but then from the moment the promise is given by God, from the moment the dream drops in his heart of what, what God is speaking to him, Everything he sees from that moment is disappointment, regret, broken promises, people for, uh, for, uh, backstabbing him, people taking a step back from him, and everything around him. I can imagine Joseph going, I see the promise, but I can't work it out. I don't know how this is going to play out for me and my family. So I want to take us to that today. In between the promise and the palace, I believe, though, Joseph had worked out a couple things. And I believe you and I need to work out. Number one, we need to work out the presence of God. We have to work out the presence of God. This, this phrase that appears again and again in chapter 39, it tells us whether it's in Potter's of his house or in the prison cell at the end, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. The whole of chapter nine is parentheses in verse two, and then the very last verse in verse 43 is parentheses, 23 parentheses with these words, the Lord was with Joseph. And it's this reality for you and I that in a foreign land, working for a foreign boss, doing a job he would have felt was beneath him, the Lord was with Joseph. So profound because actually when that Bible says that, I don't think it's just saying Joseph said some prayer at the beginning of the day, you know, pray to God, give me traveling mercies, Whew, and let's move on with the day. Hedge of protection over me, God. I wanna just go as I go by my work. And he forgot about God. No, I think this was more than just, he hadn't just worked it out as a head knowledge. He was working it out in reality. The Lord was with Joseph. He was working it out so much so that actually the fact that the Lord was with Joseph was having a direct impact on the way his life was going and how the life of those around him was going. If you read the text, you saw the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded in everything he did. The Lord was with Joseph and he was noticed by Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph and he was given promotion. The Lord was with Joseph and he was blessed and along with that, the entire household of Potiphar was blessed along with Joseph. You see, here's the reality for you and I. I believe too many of us haven't worked it out yet. We, we, know, we know that God is with us, but we haven't worked it out and seen it have an impact on our lives. We have this head knowledge, yeah, God is with me, but we're not actually walking that God is with me. We've, we maybe worked it out intellectually, but we're not working it out practically and having a tangible difference in our lives. You see, I really believe the presence of God is everything. Now, I wanna help us this morning a little bit in that narrative. You see, if you keep reading in the Old Testament throughout the pages start to unfold and go through the prophets and the poets and the narrative history of Israel, we'll see the presence of God, God described in very tangible sense, uh, sense uh, of reality. We'll talk about that as God went, the, Egyptian, the Israelites, so they left Egypt, they followed the cloud by day and the fire by night. And that was symbolic of God's presence. Where it went, they went. Where it stopped, it, they stopped. Then they, they built a tabernacle, and the, it said the, the presence of God would fill the tabernacle while they're in the wilderness, a little a tent-like structure, and the presence of God would fill it, and they would watch it fill, and, and Moses and Joshua, and, and only a select few would be able to go encounter the presence of God. And then they built the temple, and then there was high priests who would go in once a year for the big sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, but they would do their work in the priests in the temple, and people would stand at a distance waiting for the presence of God to come. And throughout Israel's history, there was this thing called the Shekinah glory that would fall upon them. Now, if you're you foreign with, uh, with uh, Pentecostalism and church in general, that word Shekinah, no, is not Beyonce's backup dancer. Shekinah. Sounds good, though. But no, 
Shekinah is the, was the, it means the tangible reality of God. That actually, that every now and again the Lord was with them, but then the presence of God would come in such a thick, tangible way that people would know that God, without dispute, God was there. That they would fall down on their faces and worship and it would just feel like God is here with us. And they'll live in expectation from journey to journey that maybe we'll have another glimpse of the Shekinah glory of God. And this is the reality that actually, that word Shekinah actually has the understanding that God is my neighbor. What a delight to have God as your neighbor. Just, just you know, they would, they would wait and then suddenly the neighbor would make a noise. Oh, he's here, he's here. Yes, the neighbor is having influence on our life. He's arrived and he's moved in. And a lot of the church live with this type of reality. It's wonderful, but it's only in part. We live with this thing, even though that's the Old Testament, we live with this reality that actually if we pray hard enough, if we believe right enough, if we do the hokey pokey, turn it all about, that's what it's all about. We'll see the Shekinah. God will come on a Sunday meeting one day. God will come and he'll restore my family. If I just, if I wait long enough, if I do X, Y, and Z, maybe saying even things like this, I feel far from God right now, so I need to come to church to have a moment with him. All well and good, but I want to tell you, God's calling us to work it out a bit further. You see, because in the New Covenant, when we look at the New Testament, we're told that the name of Jesus, one of his names will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. If Shekinah means God is my neighbor, when Jesus comes and starts to rewrite the narrative of our hearts, Emmanuel means God is my resident. And there's a big difference from people who are living with God as my neighbor, with weekend visitation rights, and God who is my resident. The Lord was with Joseph. You see, the old covenant says, make promises to stay close to God. The new covenant says, he promises to stay close to you. This is huge for us because Jesus himself says these words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whether you are having the promises being spoken of life, whether you're in the pit, you're in Potiphar's house, you're in Egypt, you feel a million miles away and you can't work it out, the Lord is with you. And I want to tell you, yes, he's omnipresent. This is a, a big word meaning that he's everywhere. God is in everything. He's everywhere. Where, from, if I go to the heights, I can't escape from you. If I go to the depths, I cannot run away from you, God. He is everywhere. But I want to help us a little bit very quickly to have an understanding of how we can work it out. Number one, I want to be on the screen behind me. We need to become aware of it. Be aware of the presence of God. Too many of us are, we are aware of our sin. We are aware of our failings. We are aware of the, 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 the fact that Donald Trump is about to run for president again. We are aware of the headlines. We are aware of our work situation. We are aware of the gas price, but we are actually not aware that the Lord is with us. Be aware. But that's the first step in the reality. Turn your thoughts towards him. That's why the Bible says, renew your mind. You know why we read the Bible? Yes, it's the word of God. Why we encourage people, have, spend time with God daily. It's not just say, cool, have that 30 minutes and then walk away. No, it's have that 30 minutes in the morning and then work it out throughout the day. The Lord is with you. And he goes with you in the day. And this is the reality. Moses in the, in the wilderness, when he can't work out, what is he doing in the wilderness? He was the prince of Egypt and he's a million miles away from that now. And he's looking after sheep in the wilderness and he sees the, a bush that's burning. And he suddenly, his whole attention turns away from the wilderness to a burning bush. He becomes aware something is different in this moment. In the normal reality of life, but something is different here. That's the first step, be aware. Secondly though, I wanna tell you, we gotta work it out, draw near. Draw near. If we run with that narrative of Moses, he saw the burning bush and the scripture tells us, so he went close to have a look at it. And I think that's the reality. A lot of our hearts, God is on the move, but when we go, God is here, yes, God is with me, 
We have to become aware of it, but we actually have to draw near to it. James 4 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So God is with you, but there seems to be a participation reality as I read scripture that we have to lean into him as well. He is fully leaning into you. He is not waiting. He's not pulling back. He's not holding back. He's leaning into you, but he's saying, actually, will you partner with me? Be aware, draw near. And thirdly, and this is where I think many people fall off the wagon, is the idea of holy fear. Moses sees the bush. He draws near to have a look. And then God says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Because here's the thing. The Lord is with you. It's super encouraging and also super terrifying. (laughs) The Lord is with you. And what I mean by fear, and the Bible says, it speaks of it, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is true sight. That actually, too, many of us are seeing Jesus as just the guy in the background. He's, he's in the back seat of our car. When actually true sight, he's, no, no. When the Lord is with you, he is working all things. He's here in the midst of you. And this is the reality for us is when I talk about the fear of the Lord, holy fear, move our hearts to a disposition. Actually, if the Lord is with me, that will change the way I walk. If I work it out, I work it out with the sense of fear and fear towards him. When I mention fear, maybe it's been so misunderstood in, in Christianity. I had this experience when I went to Victoria Falls, seventh, one of the seven wonders of the world. And I remember standing on the precipice there uh, and looking over the edge as the, the waterfall pounds, and I was so blown away. The pictures do not do it justice. My heart is, is sore. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And I'm seeing it pound there. And I know, and I'm, realizing, and I'm realizing they have not upgraded the safety for years. The paths are slippery. The, 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 little, the little handrails are, are creak, creaking. And you feel like, they surely if someone tests these nails. And you feel a lean in as you put a bit of pressure. Like, oh my goodness. And you're on the very edge looking over Victoria Falls, pounding. And in that moment, I am terrified. Because one false step and I'm dead. And yet in that moment, there is nowhere else I'd rather be. I'm captivated. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. It changes everything. You see, I've told this story many times, but sobers my heart. There was a, a charismatic preacher in America who preached for many, many years. And all the way through his preaching, he was preaching, and there was great, uh, the presence of God was there, it seemed, and people would have, lives were being changed. There was such uh, charisma to his ministry. But all the while, he was sneaking funds out the back door into his own private account, funding his own private ministry, private things. And eventually they caught up with him. He actually got arrested. And in the 90s, he was thrown into jail. And somebody came and, 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 and interviewed him. And they said, you've been doing this for decades, preaching on Sunday, but on Monday to Friday, living with this ridiculous reality, this, this, this sham. You've been stealing money from, from people giving. How have you reconciled this? And they asked him this question. They said, we can't work it out. They said, so tell us, when did you stop loving Jesus? And he says, loving Jesus? Never. Fearing him a long time ago. Oh, and it just sobered me. You see, because there's a scripture in Philippians 2. It says, therefore, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. And that scripture, I love it because it says, uh, as you can see me, I'm not a natural fan of working out. Naturally. Stayed away from the gym. Just refuse. But I want to tell you, I think also many people struggle with those words in terms of their faith because they've just bought into a one-day-when salvation that doesn't have much implication in the dirt, the complication, and the questions of the here and now. But when we realize that word says, work out your salvation, saying work out, it doesn't say work for your salvation. 
No, no, you've got it. It's secured. But it says work it out. Not mentally work out going, now, what does it mean? Propitiation, what does that mean? Sanctification and how, no, it's not an intellectual reality. That's good to have an understanding in your mind of how this process works. But when it says work out, it's not saying intellectually, it's saying unfold your salvation. Let it have an impact on your daily walk. Let it change who you are. Unpack it. And I love the fact when it says work out, not, not, it says work out, not work for, but it does say work. That word is press, energy. It, it says sweat, flesh out, carry out. It means that actually we get to partner with God in this reality. And when we see that word, the Lord was this Joseph, it comes to that deeper reality. So I say today, if you can't work out what God is doing in your story, in the mess, in the chaos, in the doubt, in the fear, here's my great encouragement and great reminder. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Become aware of it. Draw near to it. Respond in holy fear. Secondly and finally today, is we have to work out the power of sin. Let me tell you, when you see that name Potiphar, that is Egyptian. The Egyptian rendering of that name means fat bull. So you can imagine what he looked like, Potiphar. I've got Danny DeVito in the 90s, that, fire, that sweaty, sweaty, that's my picture. I'm just, I read the Bible in pictures, people. So that's a fat bull. So when you, the scripture says Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, you can picture me if that helps. Um, if that just helps, visual learners. But you know, as I read this, I was going fat bull, and, and I was like, I was so tempted to call the sermon fat bull and the cougar. That would have been a good one. Now, come on, what a good tip. Or the desperate housewives of Egypt. What a great t- title for a sermon. Because actually when we see Joseph, you can understand how this, this lady starts to uh, pursue Joseph at this moment. And when she says, come and sleep with me, that, and the scripture says she demanded, the best way to explain that, that text is this is how you should define it. She walked in and said, sex now. As a master, as a mistress over a slave, she had a right to demand that. You see, this was the reality in, the, in that moment. The cultural context, context of the day was the slaves were playthings for their masters. So in that moment, his, I can imagine, if you think about Joseph, he's away from his family. He's a young male, red-blooded male. He's away from his family. He's a, and got, and no one will know what's going on here. He's got urges. He's got desires. I'm a man. Come on. You know, he's like, oh, and this lady, come on. Look at her husband. Shame. Fat bull, handsome Joe. Just like his natural inclinations would have given him license to do this. But not only natural inclinations, the culture of the day gave him license to do this. That actually she could demand of him whatever she wanted. Potiphar was not angry that, she had, that there was potential of sexual intimacy was the fact that she turned the lie onto him saying that actually she came and he was trying to force it. That actually... She could have done it. So in his logic, he said, I am, I've got desires, and actually, no one will know. And actually, the culture says this is okay. The culture's defined this is all right. But this is the reality. Joseph had worked out that something bigger was at play than his natural urges and what the culture was saying. Even though he couldn't work it out. What am I doing in Pharaoh's house, in Potiphar's house? What am I doing a million miles away from the dream, the promise of people buying down? I am serving them. I can't work it out, but I can work out there's something bigger at play. And this is the reality for us. I want us to understand we have to work it out that the devil is out to destroy us. We have to, in the world where sin has been undermined, undermined where, where we, we, we cloak it up and culture says different things and this is who you are and we start with who are you and your desires and we say the culture, this is how the culture goes. There's something bigger at play than all of that. Whether it's right, wrong, natural, or the flow of life, let me tell you, there's something bigger at play. And we have to work it out because the enemy is not here just to make your life a little bit hard. He wants to kill you. 
and destroy you. You see, this is the scripture in Philippians 2. We read at the start of it. It says, work out your salvation, it says, with fear and trembling. And as you carry on that narrative, fear and trembling. Maybe people have preached fear and trembling going, you know, it doesn't mean fear and trembling. Those are bad words. More, more like healthy respect. You know, like, oh, yeah, healthy respect. That sounds nice. But unfortunately, that's not biblical because there's a different word for healthy respect in the, in the Bible. The words fear and trembling are phobos and tremos, which means fear and trembling. Sometimes we have to make more of the Bible. It's there. Work it out with fear and trembling. I can't work it out, but we have to work it out. We have to do something with it. You see, the reality here is it's fear and trembling. It's not a fear and trembling of sin, but actually a fear and trembling of God. See, it's not about morality. Church is not, I'm not here to be a morality police, but I am here to declare there is a Lord and a king of a different kingdom who demands allegiance. This is the reality for you and I. You see, I love how he responds. As she says, sex now. He responds, look, he told her in verse eight, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. Right there, if you wanna know, that's Genesis chapter three. That's Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God and the God says, you have everything except that one thing. It's a pattern of sin always. But I want that one thing. Just ask my five and three-year-old. You can have everything except that. I want that. <laughs> Nature of my heart. But he carries on and says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. I say it as plainly as I can. Sin will take you further than you want it to go. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. And I have an urgency in my heart this morning. I lived in Durban, and we loved holidays in Durban, but my brothers lived in Pretoria. So holidays, we had to go up the N3 to Pretoria. And nobody in the summer holidays wants to go to Pretoria. <laughs> All the Valleys were coming past us, going to the beach, and we were sadly there, leaving our Factor 53 at home on the way up to Pretoria, to Joburg. I'm like, why would we go to Hauteng? And I remember driving that N3. I would see the N1 peel off to Cape Town. And I was like, mom and dad, just take it. Take the turn. Take the turn. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Oh, we missed it. Pretoria. There's the N2 going through there. N1. N1. Blum. We'll even go to Blum. Blum. There's a waterfront there. there there's, there's a, there's, we can just do it. There's a great burger joint called Stadium Foods. We can go, guys. Let's go. Oh, there's a turn off. And eventually, we stay on that freeway long enough. The road becomes two lanes, becomes three lanes, four, five, six, and now it's huge. And now it's racing, and cars are going past. And us little Durbanites who've never known roads like this are freaking out. And suddenly we're seeing off-ramps going this way and this way. Malabongwe, what the heck is that? Benoni, 20K, 10K. And all of a sudden, without knowing it, we're in Joburg. We're in Pretoria. And I, I say that not to tell you that Joburg is the epitome of sin. <laughs> Just, please. <laughs> no, that's not the point of the story. But actually... Sin, we always go on this journey saying, I can take an off-ramp whenever I want. It's, just, it's not that big a deal. There comes a time where the off-ramps become less and less, and the pace becomes more and more. And you say, how did I get you? How did I get you? Sin will always take you further than you wanted to go. It will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. And let's go quickly. How did Joseph do this? This is the Joseph playbook. Uh, there's four things. Number one, he refused. It says, Joseph refused. There has to become a pre-decision. I'll make, I'll make the call in the moment. You know, we always say, you know, if someone walked in with a gun and they demanded something, oh, then I'd respond. Let me tell you, life doesn't play like that. You make the decision now. 
You make the decision this side while you are, have got cognitive ability, while when you are in the moment of clarity. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of true sight. While you can see clearly, make the decision. He refused. Secondly, it says he kept on refusing. She kept on badgering. This is ongoing. This is war. This is a reality. We have to remind ourselves that actually none of us are exempt from this. No one. Sin, the, God said to, to Cain, says, sin is crouching at your door, seeking to devour you. You must master it. You must work this out, God said to Cain. And the sin is crouching at our door and it'll knock and it'll knock and it'll knock by the culture, by what we consume, by our friendships, by our own desires. Our own sinful desires will take hold of us and it'll keep knocking. We've got to keep refusing. That's why the Bible says, put on the full armor of God. And that is not a scripture relegated for children's church so we can have something nice to design. No, this is warfare 101. Put on the full armor of God because the enemy wants to kill you. Second, thirdly, it says he removed himself. I say to you, make the big decisions. Remove those apps. Remove those apps that are leading you astray and that you get on these and they just take you down a path. They take you down a spiral. They take your mind to places they shouldn't go. And every time you're like, why do I even go on that app? Why do I even, why do I even have it? Delete it today. Remove it. Change your route home. I just always seem to go, when I go that way, I always see that person or see that reminder, see that place. Change your route home. Delete that number. Remove that bottle. Close that secret account. Break off that relationship. Walk away from that friendship. Removed himself. And fourthly, when you've done all that, Joseph ran. He just ran. And this is wonderful because actually the Bible, when it talks about this reality when our relationship with sin, it tells us to fight the devil. It says, it says, we wage war not against flesh and blood and calls us to this, this battle. But let me just be clear. When the Bible speaks about sexual temptation, the only advice the Bible gives us is this. Flee. Run. Get out of there. It says, make no provision for the flesh. Timothy says, flee from youthful lust that war against your soul. It's this radical reality of just run. Just, it's, and now we've said this statement, and I, and I ad nauseum, and sometimes like, should we say it again? But it's just the very fiber of who I am. Radical futures demand radical obedience. Things that the world won't understand, that friends won't understand, that situations won't make sense of, that bosses will go, what, what are you talking about? That's not a big deal. Run. Run. We've got to work this out, the power of sin. You see, I've got a friend, um, and they told me this narrative that they, they grew up in South Africa in a church culture, but had never really worked out the power of sin that was there to devour them until he was in a place where suddenly he realized nobody knew him. And all of a sudden, he had access to Tinder, and he was swiping, and as he said, he said, realized in, this, in, this, in this, this nation that was abroad that they were a lot more forward than South Africans. And he said, on the first conversation, they say, come on over. Come on over to my place. You're like, whoa. Barry White was playing as he walked in the door. And, and his youthful, natural lusts and desires were leaning that way already because, ah, oh, no one will know this. And then also the cultural context of the place was like, this is normal. It's not weird. Don't worry about your relations back home. This is just a one-night fling. Just do it. You do you. And he got to this moment. He said the first time, he remembered he was shaking on the way over there, shaking, physically shaking, trying to stop himself. And he was just like, and he could feel the praise. The Lord was with him. Encouraging, but also terrifying. The Lord was with him, and he got to the door, opened the door, shaking, and X, Y, Z. Then the next week, guilt and shame, so the next week, picked up the app again. Same situation, same thing, shaking. But he said after four or fifth time, he said the most the scaring and most sobering moment 
was when he said he got on the train and the shaking stopped. And this was normal now. And he says he opened the door. He had this revelation that said, maybe God has left me. And we know God hasn't left him. But actually he had silenced that voice. He had silenced it so much. And it was that moment of sober revelation that drove him back to the Lord. Because he suddenly couldn't work it out anymore. And I want to tell you, this is the wake-up call. I pray. Maybe it's for one person. Maybe it's for a whole host of people. And you have been playing games. Here is the wake-up call. I woke up this morning and I have a word from God for you. Stop it. Run. Radical obedience. This is God speaking to you. Make the decision today. Work it out. There's something much bigger that's riding than riding on this moment. It's much bigger than just your natural inclinations, your lusts, your passions. It's much bigger than just what you see in front of you. God is doing something bigger. Work it out. You see, I could go on and on and tell you, but I want to tell you, if you're caught in the grip of sin's power and you can't work it out, prize the call of God more than your compromise. Prize what God has spoken to you. Prize what God is leading you to. You might say, it's insignificant. I don't have a platform. I don't have a family. I don't have a title. There's not much riding on this. I tell you, sir, ma'am, there's a lot more riding on this than you know. A lot more. So I want to tell you, as we bring this into close, maybe you're sitting here today, you're like me, preaching this, not preaching this from a place of moral superiority. I wish I could come down. I'm not preaching this from a stage, down at you, preaching this with you. Because I, I, I can't work it out. <laughs> maybe you're looking and you're going, the Lord is with me, cool, but I'm struggling to work that out. Because I, I look at my life, I look at that, I look at what I'm doing, I look at what I'm involved in. Maybe you've given yourself over to sin. You're not fighting it, you've just full on surrendered. And allow sin to have its full way with you. I want to tell you today, and you say, I can't work it out. I want to tell you today, I also can't work it out. If I'm honest, how God still uses a guy who still hasn't fully worked out the presence of God. I can't work it out. I can't work it out how God still uses a guy who hasn't fully worked out the power of sin yet. I wish I could stand here saying, oh, I've got I've, I've mastered that. Let me tell you, I can't work out how Jesus continues to pursue me even when I've run the other way. I can't work it out. I can't work it out how Jesus continues to forgive me again and again and again. I can't work out His grace. I can't work out His mercy. I can't work out His kindness. I can't work out His goodness. I can't work out His love. I can't work out His forgiveness. I can't work out, no matter how long I've thought about it and read it and prayed it, I still can't work out how the worst day for all humanity became the best day in all history. I can't work it out. I can't work it out. You know what, here's the thing, I can't work it out. And the great news is neither could the enemy. Because let me tell you, on a day called Friday, that was later given the name Good, on that cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, it looked like the presence of God had left him. And on the cross, Jesus declared out, it is finished, sounding like the death knell upon all humanity. And in that moment, it looked like that it was finished as Jesus became the sin of the world, subjugating himself under the power and dominion of sin. But here's the good news. The enemy couldn't work it out either because on Sunday, Jesus rose again, breaking the back of sin's power and dominion and unleashing the presence of God upon humanity like never before. I can't work it out. Two scriptures. Here's the courage I want to land you with. This. Romans 8 verse 28 says this. God works out. For we know God works out 
all things for the good of those who love Him. You can't work it out. That's the great news. You can't! But He can. And He works all things. Your mistakes, your dysfunctions, your family brokenness, your arrogance, your pride. And you see this, but you say, actually, God, I fear you too much to stay in that place. I don't know how it works. I can't work it out, but I surrender. He says, ah, I work out all things for the good of those who love Him. Philippians 2, let's finish the scripture we've read a thousand times today. Philippians 2 says this, Therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I can't work it out, Gabe. I'm trying to work it out. I'm trying my best to work out His presence. I'm trying to work out the power but I keep stuff. I can't. Good news. He can. It's God who works it out in you for His good purpose, His good pleasure. Can we stand to our feet? Today, maybe you hear, you say, I can't work it out. But I want to tell you, He wants to work. He wants to work His presence into your life and into every situation of your life. Maybe here today, and you say, I can't work it out. I want to tell you, he, he can. He wants to free you today from the grip of sin's power. Let me tell you, verse 2, and the last verse of chapter 39, parentheses of the verse, says, and the Lord was with Joseph. In a foreign land, doing a menial job, in a culture that was waging war against him, where he was fighting temptation and didn't know what to do. I want to tell you, the Lord was with Joseph. When he was falsely accused and it didn't make out, and he says, I've run, I've tried to follow you, God, but I've been obedient, but it's not working out. God says, the Lord was with Joseph. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now and you're trying to pull your marriage back together. You're in the middle of a storm and you, you are harboring secrets that you're going, I, I need to tell someone, but I'm so terrified to know what's going to happen. Let me tell you the parentheses around that battle, around that addiction, that fear, that anxiety. Here's the parentheses. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. It should encourage you, but also I want to remind you, it drives us to holy fear. The Lord is with me. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.